Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 5, Simon Said. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing sexual assault in our Critical Time segment. If you're not in the headspace to listen to this, you may want to skip Critical Time for now or entirely. We hope to have you back soon. Be well. Okay, before we get into this episode, I do have to share with the audience, I weirdly predicted what was going to happen in this episode, but early. Wait, when? So the first time that they, like, they have, I think it's the cold open, so like, spoiler for my eventual recap, but the cold open where the doctor takes the phone and then walk, then like is given the instruction clearly, you can kind of see the mind control happening. I was like, uh-oh, he's going to walk in front of that bus. <gasps> and then he didn't, and I was like, oh, okay. I guess I just, you know, I just assumed he'd walk in front of the bus. It seemed like the easy way to kill a guy. Oh, <laughs> several scenes later. Seems I was right, I guess. I had a weird premonition. <laughs> I I have premonitions once removed. <laughs> <laughs> once removed. What did, so apart from that, like, what did you broadly think of the episode before we move into the recap? I really liked it. I think I really, really early on clocked this was going to be a Sam heavy dealing with other psychics again, which right away put me in the mindset of nightmare as would be obvious. I think it has its flaws, but I really enjoyed it for the narrative purpose. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to be talking about Nightmare today, so that's that's for sure. But yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely one of those that gives you goosebumps, I find, like when you actually get to the reveals and stuff. Are you ready to reveal your recap? I'm ready. Okay, all right. So one minute and 30 seconds. Three, two, one, go. So we start with the cold open where we have... A, a, a man taking a phone call. It seems like this phone call is nefarious. He then walks into a gun shop, keeps repeating everything's going to be fine before using one of the guns in said shop to take the life of the owner and then himself. Uh, we then find out this whole thing was a vision by Sam, who's having more of his visions again. So right away, we're getting nightmare vibes. They decide to do a little research, which means going to go see Ash and getting to see more of Ash than they anticipated. We then have a cute little moment with Joe and Dean we'll talk about later about Ario Speedwagon. They go to this town where they figure out the uh, his visions came from they find out there's another kid there who had the exact same upbringing that unfortunately sam did with mom dying in nursery at six months uh and he has psychic powers but it turns out he's not the only one and there's someone else out there being a killer and we meet the killer surprise it's his twin brother and then a lot of questioning sam and dean's motives and what they think about this whole demon thing and of course we find out the other brother who is there being the evil one is being kind of toyed around and puppeted by yellow eyed demon and time 15 seconds left congrats having the time there is a lot more scary <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so okay so actually we should tell our listeners that i was actually showing you literally the time like you had the time in front of you and this was yeah. the first time and i could see that your eyes were just not on the screen <laughs> So I'm not sure if that was useful. I was like trying not to focus. <laughs> Did I miss anything or anything we want to bring up before we move on? 
So I don't think you missed anything. I just want to emphasize a couple of things as usual. So we meet Andy. Yay. <laughs> I love Andy. There is some, I mean, like there's a lot about him, but he is genuinely just such a fun character. Like you say we meet Andy, which usually means he's going to return. Perhaps. I would love that because I feel like we left him on a very sour note in this episode, but I just really liked him. He's a cool, wholesome dude, and I think that it'll be, like, it's just really nice to meet those characters I find in this world. We are also officially introduced to Sam's, like, quote-unquote freak arc. I don't know if you remember this, but when we did our episode on skin, I mentioned that the word freak would come to have, like, a very important meaning for the series and particularly to Sam and like yeah I remember you bringing that up back then yeah another another thing like and that's a really silly thing but I kind of wanted to mention it it's the first time that we hear Dean singing and he can sing I'm very happy to say and this is why it's really particularly sweet it's because Jensen Ackles and Steve Carlson actually have a band together and they just released their second album I'd like us to keep track of when Dean is singing because I sort of like pieced together when I was watching this episode that it seems to always be associated with his like flings or romantic relationships. I'll be curious to see how that goes because I mean, I mean, in this episode, it's clearly related to Joe putting it on and they're clearly painting the Joe kind of has a thing for Dean angle. Shall we hop into story time? We shall. So we were literally just talking about Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon. Fantastic song. Just need to say now. Fantastic song. Agreed. Agreed. And like, so Joe puts it on when they're at the roadhouse. It's one of those songs that I had heard a lot, but for some reason never really paid attention to the lyrics. So I actually looked up the lyrics last Uh, last night and it's actually a song about friendship that becomes more and like the realization of that dean and joe like aren't great friends right like they've even though they've clearly been flirting from the moment that they met it's not like they have this epic friendship that is turning into more so i'm not too sure how this song fits them but i know that it fits Another <laughs> another storyline in the show that comes in later on. So I'm sort of wondering, like, why this song? Part of me also feels this may have just been a choice of a song that the title does more of the work than the song. Like, if it really is Joe's attempt to flirt, I think it is just the idea of I have feelings for you and I can't fight it anymore. Ignoring the actual story of the song. Again, I feel like it, for a show that is so attached to its musical choices and really does pay attention to the songs it picks, it seems weird to just use it for the sake of that like one line in the song and ignore the rest. So it's it's an interesting choice, and it may even technically be a red herring. It's just something to bring up, I think, because it just felt a little out of place. Let's keep it in mind. Let's see if there's anything, any other information that we get about that a bit later on. Yeah, and we then meet probably one of my favorite characters of the episode, Andy's van. I'm just going to say it. That van is glorious. Like, I feel like it's that classic stoner joke of just, like, the dude whose van has, like, a ridiculous painting on it, let alone inside of it, including the tiger painting. But, like, that's just badass. Well, that actually echoes, like, literally a thought that Sam shares with him later, where he's like, but you could have anything, and you live in a van. Like, (laughs) why? 
I think when we get to the brothers and the twins discussion later, we'll talk about that more, but I have a lot to say there. Okay, so we meet Andy's van, who is clearly our favorite character this episode. So the boys are watching the van, and they're arguing about whether or not, like, there's something nefarious about Sam. And Sam says, I'm one of them. And Dean replies, no, you're not. Do you remember the look on Dean's face when he says, no, you're not? And, like, do you believe him? No, and, and again, like, we get the confirmation later when Andy says, tell the truth. But, I, I again, this is Dean just being the protective older brother slash parental figure for Sam. But at the same time, the argument made further down the line in the episode when he really does compare Sam to these other people and looks at Andy as being, prior to Andy shooting uh, Ansem, looks at Andy as being an example of someone with these powers doing good and being good. I think, I mean, Dean, as much as he might not believe it, he's right. Like, the powers don't make the person... Like, this is years of, like, X-Men comics, Marvel comics, DC comics coming out of me here. But this is, the powers don't make the person, it's the person's decisions. It's also very Harry Potter-esque. It's your choices that make you who you are. Yeah, so do I believe Dean? Yes. Does Dean believe Dean? He's on the fence. Okay, so it's really interesting because this episode really toes the line between tragic and absolutely hilarious. So I feel like, <laughs> very well. but it, but it's true. Like a lot of the themes are really dark and we'll, we'll get to those, but there's also like some really good laughs in the episode, which I was really thankful for again, when Andy like takes the car from Dean or like, I, I guess you can't even say that. Like Dean gives the car to Andy. Like what was your thought process? Like what happened? It just, it, it seemed like a very good way to show off Andy's powers while being harmless and fun. I really liked it, but, like, it just, it goes to show, like, you know, the way he reunites with Baby. Like, it felt like a real, like, reunite. It felt real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I mean, there's a lot of references to Obi-Wan Kenobi in this particular episode, obviously, because of the nature oh of my God, yes. powers. He Obi-Wan'd me. He, he full-on Obi-Wan'd me. <laughs> Do you know that they actually went further, and the license plate of Andy's van actually says something like, are you Obi-Wan? Really? I have to go back and look at that now. That's amazing if it is. So finally, when they get baby back, Sam and Dean are arguing again, because this is, this is, we're going to start seeing a lot of arguing between Sam and Dean. It's has started already, but we're going to see a lot more. So we better get ready for that. In this instance, they're arguing about whether or not Andy could be the killer. So Dean is following his instinct, right? He's like, no, it's, it's not him. I just don't feel it. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Sam's not convinced. And I'm wondering, if Dean is following his instinct, what is Sam following? I think this ties into Sam's hero complex, which I think here, I think Chosen One complex works better because Chosen One does not necessarily imply heroism or villainy. Sam feels like he's been handed a role in a play and he has to play it. So if Max did bad things and this whole thing is the demon's plan, then anyone who fits A and B must be evil. There's no exception. And it's this level of, well, if Max was evil, then I must be evil. And then this kid must be evil. And I've been kind of going back and forth about that because I'm like, is it just because he's afraid of himself and like the parts of himself that he doesn't know or doesn't understand yet? Or is it really that he's he just has this desire, this 
yeah, this is what we call the chosen one complex, like this need to be special, I guess, or like this need to feel like he was chosen for something. And I don't really know because I feel like if, if he truly was afraid, then it might manifest differently, right? Like it might manifest as denial rather than full, full on acceptance or, or maybe he's just catastrophizing. I'm not sure. I don't quite, I can't quite pin Sam down in this moment. It is weird because I feel like when we talk about chosen one complex and the hero complex, it usually seems to be a conscious choice of the character to go. I'm important or I was chosen. This almost feels like turning it on its head a little bit in the sense that he was chosen, but doesn't want to be. So because he doesn't want to be special because he doesn't want to be what he is, he assumes it has to be a bad thing, but can he just like, it raises a lot of questions and I think we'll need to get more in Sam's head, hopefully down the line as we learn more about people like this and the yellow eyed demons plan and everything. But I think what it really just comes down to is he can't separate the fact that what has happened to him is because of the demon. And if it came from the demon, it must be bad. Thus it must be him and he must be bad because of it. It's it's nowhere has Sam said so far anyway, that he didn't want to be chosen. And I think that that's also something that I grapple with at the moment. But I agree with you. I think those are things that we will be able to understand better once we get more inside of Sam's head. But I think like it's important to start wondering like what is guiding Sam right now? Like I said, I think that Dean is following his in- his instinct and like his but I'm not sure what's guiding Sam. Just real looking to Sam and by extension, yellow eyes and the plot, kind of the overarching plot. This is our first really removed episode. So it's it's bringing up a lot of questions. And given that we have new information from season one that we haven't really been able to put into practice in season two, as far as analyzing, I think it's it, this is letting us ask more questions. We were talking about motivation and guiding principles and whatnot. So if we're talking about Ansem, who is Andy's twin brother, uh, so he's motivated by wanting to keep his brother to himself and like not share him with the world. There's something a little weird about that. This doesn't sit well with me. And like, there's this weird piece of meta here that I'm I'm not too sure what to do with. And I kind of wanted to throw it out to everyone and see what y'all think about it. He's saying that Tracy is getting between them, which is really weirdly foreboding of like the whole quote unquote, the show is exclusively about the brothers and any character that's perceived as coming between them will be written off. And I know that this is a conversation that like we have sort of had where, and I can't remember if that was on or off mic. We've talked about this where I was like, well, just so that you're aware, any character that is perceived to be coming between them will absolutely be written off the show. So I had a lot of time while watching uh, Ansem and Andy, where I kind of was drawing parallels to both the brothers in general, but also the like format of the show. The way you've worded it, I think, really encapsulates what I was feeling, and they almost feel like a caricature of the brothers in the show, that like their relationship, like one is always looking like to be good and be comfortable in the life they have, while the other is kind of like bent on a goal even if it means something detrimental to the other brother and that kind of flips between sam and dean the whole way through like it isn't uniquely one or the other it's kind of always their dynamic is one of them's always 
in a situation one is level-headed and, you know, understanding, and the other one is very goal-oriented to the point of near, like, self-destruction. And that's very much what these two are. And I like the way you put it. Like, clearly, like, anything that would get between them needs to be dealt with, and the show basically does that. It's a really weird meta-narrative that, like, I don't know if the writers would notice they did it. I mean, so Tracy is blonde, right? And she, so we won't comment on the fact that she's wearing like a white slip as she is about to jump off the bridge, the reservoir. So as she's about to like jump off, she's basically wearing the same thing that Jessica was wearing when she died. We'll talk more about that, but at this point, it is a direct parallel. This blonde girl in a white basically nightgown um, about to be killed off because she's getting in the middle of the brothers. I mean, I really feel like we could be talking about Jess here. Let's just get it out of the way now. The big reveal, Ansem is being puppeteered by the yellow-eyed demon, not directly, but we look at the the only time we've seen yellow-eyed demon outright target somebody that wasn't a mother was a love interest of one of them, and that was Jessica. And here we have it indirectly through Ansem going after Tracy. Like I mentioned to you before we started recording, this is a Ben Edlund episode. So there's always a message like the writing is very purposeful and intentional and it's really interesting to dive into it. So I think that by looking at the parallels between Andy and Ansem and Sam and Dean, like we really are doing the work that he wants us to do. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it, you've already started like talking about those parallels and I think that you did it really nicely. And it's really interesting because my my parallel is the same. Like I also paralleled Andy with Dean and uh, Sam with Ansem. But like the things that I noted were very, I don't want to say shallow, but very like, you know, I, I mentioned like the love for Star Wars and the pretty girls and the love of cars, the rock t-shirts, the reading a ton of books, but like quote unquote doesn't look like it. Um and just the fact that Dean seems like really psyched by all of Andy's life choices, basically. And it's interesting because we've all this time, it's it's a recurring conversation in our show is what does Dean want? What is Dean's end goal? You know, up until recently, Sam's was kill the demon, go back to school, get his life back on track. And there was always the what is there for Dean? And we've discussed what does John think it is? What does Dean think it is? What does Dean possibly want? And here we have him literally seeing a character in a very unusual way of life, living out of their van, you know, reading the books that you wouldn't expect him to read, uh, their giant Moby Dick of a bong, as he calls it. And I think Dean, for the first time, is seeing someone living a life that he goes, I get it. Even in the the wardrobe, you know, like they dressed Andy in like in those rock t-shirts and like the flannel, whereas uh, Ansem is dressed in like the basically a very similar checkered shirt that we've seen Sam wear this entire like past season, etc. I'd like to bring something up. So in Nightmare, we sort of like we basically decided that Max had made the decisions that he made because of the abuse that he endured at the at the hands of his dad and his uncle. And that the reason why Sam didn't turn out that way was that he had Dean in his life. Now, here in this episode, we again have two brothers, and they're twins, actually. 
uh, one who turns out to be a murderous sociopath and the other a harmless hippie. So what determines like what psychic kid is going to turn out good or evil? This is where I think the show does a brilliant job. Like this is one of those things where it's like the idea of like two people with the same power, one good, one evil is such a generic trope for any superhero premise. But the, the reason it's such a cliche, like at the end of the day, I have said this and I will say it a thousand times. Cliches are cliches because they work. And in this case, we see why. And it's the fact that you can have two characters who are by all means the same character. They are basically reflections. I mean, literally twins, not even like we're not even making like joke. We're not even making like similarities here. They're literally twins, but we get to see how the way they were brought up, the decisions they make in life, who they interact with, how they choose to use their powers are all going to come down to decide how they are as a person. You know, they both start with the same nature. They are, I mean, for all intent and purpose, they are this, they are two carbon copies of the same thing. Their only difference is how they were brought up and who they interacted with. And clearly one of them was taught well. And one of them met a yellow eyed demon who said, go kill some people, please. So what you're saying is basically what Sam says, like near the end of the episode, he goes like in the right circumstances, everyone is capable of murder. Everyone. Maybe that's what the demon's doing pushing us, finding ways to break us. It's one of those perfect arguments where you're taking my point. Uh, I'm saying this not to you, to Sam. I'm saying to Sam, you've taken my argument and turned it around against me and you're technically right, but I'm mad at you for it. <laughs> I feel like that's any argument that you would have with Sam, right? <laughs> I am Sam. I am right. But, but that's a really interesting line though pushing us, finding ways to break us. Like what are ways that Sam, that the demon has been pushing Sam? It's done a lot to piss him off. It's done a lot to anger him. I mean, that definitely does lead you down a road of more, you know, garish actions, but it doesn't directly convince Sam to go start murdering innocent people the way he thinks it's going to do it. I think that's still works with what Sam is saying, because in the right circumstances, everyone is capable of murder. So I guess the demon just hasn't found the exact circumstance under which Sam is capable of it. So here's my argument. One, I feel like the demon isn't really trying because I think if the demon was trying to do that, there are even with the tool sets we've seen the demon use, there's a lot more ways to interact and mess with them that could lead to that. I mean, even just look at the times where they, you know, Meg, you know, like tricked them. There were, if that was the demon's real goal, like this is very outside observer, but if that was the demon's true goal was to get all of these psychics to the point of being homicidal maniacs, he's really doing a bad job. Albeit. Yes. Sam's point is true. Anyone in the wrong or right circumstance can be a killer, but I think there's, context that is missing from that there is not oh look he turned you know andy into a killer no he put andy in a situation where it was basically let the psychopath who's apparently my brother murder a bunch of people or stop him the only way i physically can because it's the only option available but how is that different from what he's saying 
And I understand, I, I guess I, what you're, what you're getting at is that like, it is an extreme circumstance, but I don't think that Sam is saying that like, oh, it's Sunday and it's slightly raining and I'm pissed off. I'm going to go off and murder someone. Like I, I, my interpretation of what he's saying is that if the circumstances are pressed and extreme enough, anybody would kill. But I think that's true for anyone. I don't think that has anything to do with you having psychic powers. No, for sure. And I mean, but the, I think that will be explained a little bit later why them, right? Like, we don't know yet why them. But like, I, I, I yes, yes. Let's, let's put, put a pin in that for now. So Andy does end up killing Ansem, right? Um, and given the parallels that we've made between these two brothers and our two brothers, let's start to piece some stuff together here. You know, Sam is one of those children with special powers and the yellow-eyed demon is clearly like somehow grooming them for something. We don't know what, but John knew what. He, or at least he knew about something, right? And he also lied about knowing about it because John is John. And John said something to Dean before he died. So this was always kind of in my the back of my mind that whatever John told Dean had to do with the demon's plans for these kids and what that means for Sam. Not knowing what it is, I feel like if it were something that big, Dean would have broken by now and talked to Sam about it. There's always that inkling in the back of my like head of like when is that going to be revealed and when is it going to be relevant to reveal? And this felt like an episode where like I was waiting for that bomb to drop because we're finally dealing with more yellow ID and we're finally dealing with other kids who have powers. Like this is probably what the secret's about. Come on, Dean, tell us something. And clearly we don't. I also wonder then my other because I, I, as I said, I kind of called Dean a hypocrite, too. And that is the fact that he is very smart and he knows, but he is trying to hide things from Ellen, which seems like a terrible idea because it's Ellen. But is his reason for not wanting to share with Ellen related to the secret as well? But I think that what you what you're describing also has like an interesting beginning of a dynamic shift. There seems to be a push and pull of blood family versus found family here. He tells her it's a family thing, but Sam actually lets her in on the secret. And, and to me, that wasn't really surprising because Sam has more experience in found family than Dean. You know, he's, he had Jessica, he had his college friends. Dean never had any of that you're starting to see Sam and Dean sort of like question the meaning of family, especially in this episode where like blood family was incredibly destructive. Shall we move on to critical time? Let's. So who was our writer this week? Ben Edlund, who I love. So we're actually getting into like my favorite writers on the show, which is so exciting. So he's going to write for the show for a very long time. This is actually his first episode and it's a pretty good one. So I, I was, I was curious to ask. Yeah, I know. I like this episode a lot. I really like the characters. I like a lot of detail. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest and say I'm a sucker for the star Wars jokes. 
He also gave us the absolute masterpiece that is The Man Who Would Be King. And so thank you, Ben Edlund. It was also directed by Tim Yakufano. He actually only directed this one episode on Supernatural, but he's directed some stuff on CSI New York, 24, and Traveler. Do you want to know something a little funny about this episode? You might have noticed that Sam is wearing a cast. On his arm? Yeah, it was very much like, did I miss a scene like this episode where this happened? Like, No. So what happened is that Jared actually broke his arm during the filming of the last episode, but he didn't wear a cast so that it wouldn't affect continuity. They're actual like real life superheroes, these guys. There's a level of like respect for the craft. Like your art is so important, you'll like suffer through it. But also like, come on, studio, be like... Man, I'd be like, no, no, put the cast on, be safe, be careful, we'll figure it out. Like, do something, you're smart. Ooh, oh my goodness, Drew, we, if we're going to embark upon the journey that is the health and safety violations of the CW <laughs> no. during the shooting of Supernatural, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff to say about that. <laughs> is there anything that you wanted to bring up in Critical Time specifically? I feel like this was a really good episode, and the parts where it faltered the most or the fact that it followed last week's episode. Ooh, okay. How so? Had they just separated these episodes a little bit, it would have been great. And my issue being is because it's the same dynamic between Sam and Dean again. Sam thinking Dean is going too far or being too extreme uh, and basically saying, no, Dean, you're wrong. I'm doubting you. Versus... This episode where Sam's like, I'm super sure of something. And Dean goes, I think you're wrong. And Sam going, no, I'm doubting you. And Sam being wrong yet again. I am very sorry to tell you that this is the dynamic that we will have until the end of season four. Okay, so at least they're going to be consistent. I'll give them that one. (laughs) Yes. So I, I just need you to mentally prepare yourself for that at this point, I guess. I, but you know what? I think I think I'm okay, and I think if it becomes a continuous trend, it might sort of sink into the background a bit more. It's just it feels that it was very focal to the story in two episodes in a row. Yeah, that's literally what happens for the next two seasons. I will avoid bringing it up every episode, but just know I am now very aware of it, and it will probably drive me a little crazy. I remember. watching it for the first time and at one point I texted Rochelle and I was like oh my god they're driving me crazy these boys (laughs) (laughs) just talk to each other a little bit or give us a bit of teamwork once in a while like it'll help but like Mm. If this is going to be a consistent thing, I could see I could see why it would drive someone crazy. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens with your sanity over the course of the next few seasons. But there's one thing that I wanted to mention that we've mentioned very briefly, and it's the fact that Tracy is wearing like she's basically wearing a slip when she's about to jump. And of course, I know that that's explained by the fact that it's Ansem that makes her undress. I wonder why that was necessary from a storyline perspective. No, like, this is the only time Ansem does something and specifically says something that alludes to the fact that he's used his powers for evil in the past beyond the demon telling him to kill these several people. It is in the line that he says that really gross, like, you know, they always enjoy it line. Like, that he's clearly done this to girls before, or two people before, it's not my assumptions here, 
using his powers gets what he wants and they always enjoy it because he makes them enjoy it is just it's like dark and twisted on a level it doesn't need to go to like him being a murderer and already like a stalker and sociopath are enough but this just adds it's like one thing too many I think that again from a production standpoint it was really unnecessary and I, I kind of wish that that hadn't happened, period. Like, just repulsed by it in the initial, like, I, I do not like that kind of storyline. Like, that just gets me in a way. Understandably, I, I would hope for people, but, like, it just, it really hits me in a weird nerve. I think it actually undermines him as a character. Because his motives up until now have always been this very, like, I'm protecting Andy from anyone who's below him. But I'm gonna, you know, violate you sexually purely for myself and then have you kill yourself just because I want to get my rocks off. Like, no, that's not his character. His character was the, I want to get rid of this person because they're in my way. Like this extra step is purely just dark for the sake of being dark. I don't like it. Mm -mm. No, this, we've seen it a few times in the show up until now. And it seems to be this level of like, using sex or sexual assault in a way to just sort of amplify an already existing character in some way, whether we look back at uh, the way the vampires kind of use sex uh, to turn the, uh, the, the, the unnamed woman who becomes a vampire by the end of it, you're just basically using sex as a negative thing and turning it into a way to signify characters who are bad. And you know what's really interesting is that there's like a line that sort of mirrors that too. Like, I think it's right at the very end and it's Dean who says it. He goes like, it's like being roofied. It doesn't count. And like, I want us to like pay attention to this line because he doesn't talk about roofing someone. He talks about being roofied. And I know that this is sort of said like as a way to like crack a joke, which I think is really cheap and making fun of sexual assault is never funny. But like, is that saying that Dean got roofied in the past? And given the readings of his bisexuality, we've already gone into and just, and the shady crowds he's hung out with going around with his father, hunting demons and probably staying in lots of really shady and shitty bars. It unfortunately feels like a reality that is not too far removed from a possible scenario we could have found Dean in at a younger age. There's an interview of Jensen Ackles. Um, I think it was actually done in 2006 where he basically says something like, Oh, well, Dean is pretty promiscuous. So it wouldn't really surprise me if he had been turning tricks when he was younger. And like, of course, engaging in sex work, unfortunately, because of the, the the laws and regulations that are in place is actually quite dangerous, especially at a time where like it wouldn't have been possible for him to 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 do any sort of business on the Internet. It would have all been like in person, like it is getting roofied is unfortunately something that is a risk when you are a sex worker. So. I, I I absolutely think that it's a possibility and I'm I think I'm just more shocked at the the way that it was just thrown into the dialogue 
like so nonchalantly and that like the way that he says it like if you get roofied it doesn't count right because like what does that imply oh my god it's like it's so again like that's so dark it's like one of those lines that feels so throwaway it's just like oh like you weren't in the right headspace it's not your fault like you made mistakes but then like you really like take a minute to read it and you're like yeah that's really really messed up that is really messed up and sam doesn't like hear it he doesn't answer it like he doesn't even respond or like react to it but like and it's really interesting because I had never noticed that line before. Like, it was really this time upon rewatch that I was like, what did Dean just say? Like, what? So anyway, I just felt like that's something that we definitely need to keep in mind. Dean is aware. Like, he understands what it's like to be preyed upon, I think. That was a heavy ending to Critical Time. Let's, um, let's, go, let's go take a look at our, at our voicemail for the week. So this week we have a tweet from at Winchester Trent who responds to a uh, discussion we had on our live episode. And he says, Jessica was also a blonde wife in Timeless, another show created by Eric Kripke, whose death motivated the male lead. Yeah. So to further contextualize this in our live episode, if you haven't listened to it or watched it, you should definitely do that because it was a lot of fun. <laughs> But one thing that we talked about is the fact that um, Eric Kripke named Jessica after one of his ex-girlfriends. And we also alluded to the fact that this was something that he had done in other of his media because apparently his ex-girlfriend Jessica had broken up with him in a way that apparently he wasn't too happy with. And so he felt jilted. So now his way of coping with that was to write characters named Jessica who were killed off very early in his stories. You know, the funny thing is I was about to come into this very like, you know, golf club swinging like angrily, like, oh, what a what a jerk thing to do to, you know, take someone who, you know, hurt you in real life and then, you know, like do something so grim to them. And then I think about how much I love Taylor Swift and how much that new album Sour are just such bangers. <laughs> and um, yeah, yes. oof. Yes. I, I guess I kind of got to give Kripke a pass on this one. Like, I definitely don't love it because it's a little bit harsher than just saying this person wronged me and here's how I feel. He is creating essentially an image of them in his media and then in most cases murdering them. Wait a second. Are we really comparing Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo who are singing about the men who have wronged them? And talking about their feelings to Eric Kripke, who actually names this woman and then kills her off in various ways in his fantasy worlds. I feel like that's not the same. No, no. I feel like they are rooted in the same emotional area. But one of them is doing it right, and one of them is doing it very wrong, and his name is Eric Kripke. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I just think we need to acknowledge the fact that there are ways to let your emotions out through your media and share them with your fans, your listeners, your public, and doing it a right way. And then there's a way to do it that makes you look really creepy. 
Thank you so much, Trent, for actually like naming this specifically, because that's not something that I was aware of. Uh, I'm not familiar enough with Eric Kripke's work to be able to, to name it. So thank you so much for, for letting us know about it. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we need listeners like you who just have a different knowledge base that can just bring things to the table that you, Mary and I would just miss otherwise. So thank you. Drew, what crossroads deal would you have for this episode? It's a very easy one. I feel like I'm really taking the easy path here. And it's because it's such a good episode with such an obvious flaw. And you know what? To be fair, I'm going to go a step further. So what I want is more time with Ansem. I want him developed a little bit. I want to at least get some of his backstory and learn that he was a bad guy and is not just yellow eyes came to me, flipped the switch. Now I'm evil. We allude to in the very unfortunate scene in the car with Tracy that he's been practicing his powers. He's a little stronger than Andy and that he's done terrible things with this before. I think we could have, you know, gotten to know him more, had him reveal himself to Andy sooner, try to, you know, like play the I'm your friend card. And then we find that he's actually the villain and just give him more backstory and make us understand why he's the villain other than just yellow. I said, kill people. So I kill people because reasons feels like a shortcoming. And I would love to say, give up that entire very twisted scene with Tracy and what he tries and potentially may have done to her and give us more backstory instead of active because we know he's bad. We need to know that he was bad before, but I would even go so far as to say, you know, give up saving that whole like gun store scene. Like as much as that was very critical to Sam, I think we could just ditch that, have them be too late because they had to get to town and it happened while they're on their way there or they just, just missed it. You know, have them catch him on the phone and then try to follow him. And then, you know, he sees the Impala and he you know loses sight of him and he gets to the gun shop and does what he has to do. And it goes exactly as the vision went. That whole thing can then be so much quicker and out of the way. We then get the much more important. Let's learn about Ansem. Let's learn about his dark side. Let's, you know, make him a character and not a two dimensional villain. Yeah, it's definitely a problem. I think. The way that I interpret this or the way that I choose to interpret it in order to make it make sense in my mind is, again, through the lens of what Sam said earlier about how everybody has a different breaking point kind of thing. Like, you just have to find the right circumstances. And for some people, that threshold is super low for whatever reason, right? Like you said, either because of the way that they were brought up or who they are genetically, whatever. For some people, I don't think that you need to push them very far in order to get them to kill people or to do like really, really awful things to them. But for others, you need to push a lot more. And I think that that's what they were getting at with the twins, but it's not, but we have to work hard to find it, right? Like it's not, it's, it's not visible easily. I think it's slight, like I said, it's slightly alluded to in the fact that he has clearly done this before in the way he talks to Tracy. But I think if even, even if all we got was a few more lines of dialogue on the dam, would have been just him discussing when he developed the power, what he first did with it. And we can then as an audience draw the very clear, like, oh, you were already using it for evil. So the idea of then being pushed by the demon to kill did not seem out of the blue as it kind of does now. I'm going to say right now, if we reverse them and we had 
Andy, as we saw him in this episode, suddenly be approached by a demon saying, you have a twin brother with the same powers. Go kill some people. Andy would not go kill some people. Definitely. Because because there's something different about Andy. And again, like that's something to wonder about. For still making the parallel between Dean and Andy, like Dean eventually will be known as like the righteous man. And I really do think that Andy, to a certain degree, fits that description as well. I have a whole different deal. <laughs> so putting a pin in the whole sexual assault thing, which I just really wish that hadn't happened, but I can't always be wishing for no sexual assault because unfortunately that's always what I would be wishing for in these episodes. So I would basically wish for more Sam and Andy time because I think that it would have been really interesting to see the bond between the two of them. Like at the end, they have like this really sweet conversation about, you know, how... Andy could have anything, but that's what he chooses. And I think that that's also a conversation that could potentially happen like in an alternative universe between like Sam and Dean, if they hadn't had to kill monsters, you know, like I would totally imagine like Sam being a hotshot lawyer and then Dean just like living in a van and enjoying his life and doing what he needs to do in order to make enough money to have a good time. And Sam being like, you could, you're so smart. You could do anything you want. Like, why do you choose this? I just think that Sam and Andy would have been really good for each other. And I think that like, it would have been really interesting for Sam to get to know Andy because I think it would have given him like an insight into his own brother. I think it also would have just been a great bonding moment or healing moment for Sam just to meet someone else who has gone through in some ways what he's gone through and being able to connect. I mean, literally, we now have what Dean got with Gordon in having someone he could relate to in some level that he couldn't relate to with his brother. We now have for Sam, and they basically get 30 seconds in an alleyway, the end, and Sam still thinks he's a killer. I know. It was honestly really... It wasn't very satisfying in that sense. Like, I really do wish that we had had more time. But in order to do that, we would have to cut into other things. So removing the whole Tracy thing, I would... Perhaps actually remove the Dean and Joe time. Again, like I, I, I like while I like the flirtation between them, like I, I am invested in whatever like relationship they have there, but I just feel like maybe that wasn't the episode for it. I'm sure we'll have other episodes where they're back at the roadhouse, you know, like teaming up with Ellen and Joe more often. Let them flirt then when she's an actual relevant character of the episode. There you go. That would be my deal. I think it's a very fair deal. I, and again, you know what, like if we can do a little recap, I think this was a very good episode. I genuinely had a lot of good laughs. I legitimately liked everything about it, minus what happens in the car with Tracy. And I'm also kind of not happy with how they left things with Andy, kind of the way they like just sort of abandoned him. I would have liked maybe like even just allude to the fact that they stayed for the day and like talked like, honestly, especially after what Andy says to Ansem, had D, had Sam turned around and said, hey, do you want to just go get a coffee and talk? And had it end there, I would have been like, my heart is a flutter. Yeah, it was a really strange way of leaving it with Andy, frankly. Like, it really did feel... And, it, and I mean, the guy had the van, technically. He could have followed them, you know what I mean? Like, anyway. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, that was like... My, my real true wish, which I know I can never have, would have been like, he joins the cast as a permanent third member because <laughs> he's amazing. But also his powers are terribly OP. It would ruin everything and it would like... It would be like three episodes in, you're like, oh, wow, this show doesn't really work when you have a guy who can control minds. <laughs> But it would help them getting it, get into like so many different places, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know it would be so helpful, but it would just break everything. Yeah, it would absolutely break everything. So like, yeah, I, I get why you're saying that. But 
it's true. Like I wish that they had formed a bit more of a community with Andy. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. This week, we'd like to thank at Winchester Trent for his message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. Make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to grow our community. And until next week... Carry on our wayward friends. That's a good ending yeah. spot. I like that. Good. My backup plan was to just make a comment how the ending was weird and jarring and kind of ended abruptly and then end abruptly. <laughs>